Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Dragged across concrete follows two police detectives who find themselves suspended when a video of their strong-arm tactics is leaked to the media. With little money and no options, the embittered policemen descend into the criminal underworld and find more than they wanted waiting for them in the shadows. And that is the backstory that is behind this terrific new narrative film called Dragged Across Concrete. And we're fortunate to have with us the writer and director of the film, and that would be S. Craig Zoller. S. Craig Zoller, welcome. Hey, to, how you doing? Welcome to Film School. Yeah, thank. Uh, well, thank you for being here. This is your third narrative film. Your first film yep. was Bone Tomahawk, and the second was Brawl in Cell Block 99. Tell me a little bit about where the story for Dragged Across Concrete came from. Yeah, the, the story for, for this picture and, and almost all the stuff that I do, the, the, other, the other movies that I wrote and directed, the uh, ones that I wrote, uh, and uh, all of my novels, uh, come from the place of me being a fan of uh, you know a, a certain kind of genre. So it's, it's a Western or a crime piece, or a prison piece, or, or whatever it is. So I'm always writing with myself in mind as the, as the audience, and stuff that I find compelling. Now, as I've seen a lot of westerns, and a lot of crime movies, and a lot of prison movies, I want to do something different with those, and my interest in lots of different types of uh, books and movies, and what will all filter in and, and make it a different, a different sort of uh, beast, but in the case of Dragged Across Concrete, I had finished Bone Tomahawk, and I was in the process of getting Brawl and Cell Block 99 set up. And uh, during this time, I wrote what I would hope would be my third picture, which is Dragged Across Concrete, and was thinking of movies that I adore, like Prince of the City, uh, The Killing, Heat, Sweet Smell of Success, and these character-driven crime pieces with a lot of characters, a sense of scope, and a real sense of the city in which they take place. So with all of that in mind, I I started to conceive the the core characters, the the three leads. Uh, Henry Johns is played by Tori Kittles, Mm -hmm. uh, Brett Richmond is played by Mel Gibson, and Anthony Lurisetti played by Vince Vaughn. I conceived those three guys and just thought how how they would proceed to get what they needed in, in this town in this time. So it, it comes from me being a fan of the aforementioned movies uh, and then me trying to do something uh, different and new with, uh, with, with the genre. One of the things about this film is that you're able to tell this story from many points of view, and you, and you spend time with each one of those points of view in the film. So there's a real rich narrative going on as the as the film and as the story moves forward there we we're we live in these individual worlds for a period of time to where we get to know the characters very well and understand motivations and and pressures on them pressures in their life and pressures uh from from their loved ones so uh, that is one of the strengths of this film, and I, I'm sure this was a deliberate part on your part. Tell us a little bit about what went into kind of putting together the pieces of, uh, uh, the way you did in the film. Well, thanks for the kind words. Uh, yeah, certainly that's how I approach things, and uh, there are different points of view, 
and something that I do differently in uh, my movies, more the more Bone Tomahawk in this one than the second, because that really had a singular lead, that I do in my movies and, and books that uh, to try and create a larger world is really write the different sequences from the point of view of those characters. You know, in, in this case, you have some pretty flawed people trying to do some shady things to advance their lives. Looking at a looking at a city and the different sides of 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 the law, you know, law enforcers and uh, the criminal underworld and just coming at it from the perspective of why would someone be on this side of the law and uh, what would happen if this person did in advance and became embittered, uh, you know, about his career over time, you know, where, where is the sensitivity? I, I remember uh, I had a friend who worked in an emergency room for a bunch of years, and there's just a certain point where he just looked at the people who came in as idiot civilians, and there's that uh, desensitizing process of them and us. And, you know, by the end, uh, this, this guy was not behaving politely, uh, you know, or with any empathy. The people who came in that ER who, at, at, who were at all responsible for injuring themselves. I mean, accidents are accidents. But if someone brought it upon themselves or had some accident, uh, the person had become desensitized point. And so uh, a cop nearing 60 who has an advance and isn't changing with the times and isn't doing the game, the point of view of, of that kind of character to me is interesting um, this is certainly a really flawed character. And then, on, you know, on the other side, of someone who is fresh out of jail and immediately comes into a bad situation where there isn't the time to figure out your life and, and try and go uh, legit and, uh, and get a job and gradually better things, you need to make a change right now. So it's, it's just, you know, again, it comes from a place of conflict rather than me, you know, particularly interested in, like, addressing... Uh, current events or anything like yeah. that. It yeah. comes from the, the place of, well, these, these are the lead characters and what's driving them to do what they do. Remind our listeners, we're speaking with S. Craig Zoller. He is the director and writer of the new film, Dragged Across Concrete. And that dichotomy comes through as well is their, their jobs, they're one way, just as you were describing your friend, and their family life, their personal life is very different. Their, their perspective, their empathy it's it couldn't be much more dramatic or much more stark than than in between those two worlds that they live in as you said Mel Gibson's character and Vince Vaughn are cops and they have been on the job too long <laughs> in some ways it, it, this is a film that also has a particular point of view from a cinematographer's point of view and as someone who has been a cinematographer Tell me a little bit about your sort of your choices in terms of the look of the film. So this is the third uh, movie that I've made, and the third one that I uh, made with cinematographer Benji Bakshi. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got along really well on Bone Tomahawk, and frankly, that's an unfair shoot to any cinematographer. Shoot a western with horses in all of those locations in daylight, etc., in 21 days. Not fair. I think he did a great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, for all, we had more control uh, and and retained the style that actually I, I always felt better fit Brawl uh, than it did Bone Tomahawk. And both of those movies were uh, built, let's say, two-thirds with handheld shots that were generally medium shots of the protagonist of any given scene, which in Brawl was almost always uh, Vince Vaughn. And then the other movie was, you know, 
uh, Patrick Wilson or uh, Kurt Russell or Richard Jenkins, depending on the scene. Mm. Uh, and it was built with mediums on those people and then over-the-shoulder shots. And what I tried to do in both of those, in, in the cases of both of those movies, was motivate every edit. So it's pretty much I'm waiting for someone's eyes to look somewhere and then cutting immediately after that. I'm trying to make the mechanics of filmmaking as unnoticeable as possible. Mm. So with this third movie, uh, which has absolutely zero handheld in it and everything is locked off and composed, I had more time so I could approach things from that standpoint of trying to get uh, a, a, a more uh, composed frame. Uh, and then I was also aware of the reality of how much information uh, needs to be conveyed to the audience in terms of stuff that moves the plot forward and little things. And I could not hold on to the over-the-shoulder approach of the first two movies and communicate all of the stuff that needs to be communicated in the surveillance scene. Mm-hmm. It's just, it would, it would be really, really unclear. More than an hour of this movie, I believe, you're looking at people through windshields Handheld also not a great approach for that, especially since we were, um, you know, really driving for all of that stuff. It's, you know, we're really going around the city. I was actually physically on the hood of that car because I, uh, I don't go to Video Village. I'm always as close to the actors as, <laughs> as I can be, and I'm usually right next to or below the camera. So for this movie, it was this more locked-off approach, and I wanted to be very consistent, consistent sizes, uh, but as with the first two movies, each scene has a protagonist. Oftentimes, it's uh, Tori Kittles, Henry Johns. Oftentimes, it's Mel Gibson as Brett Ridgman. And oftentimes, it's uh, Anthony Loricetti by, by Vince Vaughn. So it's oftentimes those three people. There's a whole sequence with uh, Jennifer Carpenter as Kelly Summer, yeah. where she is, where she's the protagonist. And those people I tend to favor with a slightly closer shot, though I'm not a, you know, I, I don't use, regular close-ups that often I, I i find them a little bit unnatural even though they're they're kind of the standard for contemporary filmmaking because most of the people you're talking to and looking at and interacting with you're not jammed up in their face with the top of their head cropped off you're seeing what their hands do and, and hands are very expressive and body language is very expressive so with this movie it was the idea of consistently um shooting the two shots in a certain way through the windshield uh, and the camera is always on the side of the hood of the person who is the more favored person in that scene. And, uh, again, these are, these are all kind of subtle choices that are made consistently throughout with the idea that if the style choice is consistent, kind of no matter what it is, but certainly in the case of, of this movie and the other two that I did, if the style choice is very, very consistent, you start to become less and less aware of the camera, of the mechanics of the fact that this is a movie, and if I'm motivating the cuts, uh, which is something I like to do off of people looking as much as possible, uh, rather than just cutting to something and showing it, uh, the mechanics become more and more invisible, and then the audience connects more and more directly to the characters in the story, and there's less of an awareness of filmmaking. I mean, you, you'll, you'll probably notice there's zero score in a movie that's 159 minutes, yeah. and... That's another thing that, once you put it in there, it's telling people how to feel, uh, but it's another artificial layer uh, that's going in, in in terms of emotional cueing. So the style choices with uh, letting the dark stuff go really dark and, uh, and, and bringing in that sort of atmosphere, I tried to be consistent with. And, and again, a lot of this is just about 
being consistent in a way that makes the mechanics of filmmaking uh, invisible and not calling attention to myself as a, as, a, as a filmmaker or this as a movie experience, but just sitting with these people. It's funny, when I was watching the film, the, thank you for that. That's, uh, I think that's, it was beautifully said, and, and it, I think it really, as I think back on the film, I'm remembering things in, in the way that you're describing them, and without, again, with, to your point, without being aware of it while I was watching it, but I'm thinking back on, on, on the scenes that remind me of just what you're talking about. And as I was, but as I was watching the film, what came across to me, and maybe this is another sort of, uh, way of saying what you said what you said was the film felt very unfettered I, that's the word that kept coming back as i'm watching it this is a very unfettered film it is about the story it's about driving the story forward there aren't there aren't a lot of extraneous shots beyond what our characters are doing or what is as you said what's moving the story forward so that that's interesting as and as i'm reflecting on it that i think and i'm curious is this? Do you have filmmakers that you grew up with, or that you that that sort of have given inspired you in this regard, or is this just something you've come to as you've moved through your your own uh, film career? Well, first, let me say thank you for uh, the, the compliments in there. One thing I want to point out, and it's, it's interesting to hear you say that you felt all the scenes uh, drove the story forward. A lot of them do, but there there are there are probably a score that don't. Okay. Um, and but they they give you information on the characters that if you are on board this experience and enjoying it, I think feels essential and oftentimes more interesting than the things that are driving the story forward. So I'm glad that that stuff uh, felt like it was all of of a piece. And I mean, these will be the different reactions for this movie and in all three of my movies, which is people kind of relishing those. Um, th- those details and the time I take with that stuff and the unfettered qualities, as you put it, uh, where, you know, compared to people who think, oh, man, they should have cut out 30 minutes of this shit. It should have been, you know, like this much faster movie with a ton of music. So I'm, I'm glad that it all felt of, of a piece, you know, uh, a, a essential in, 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 that, in that way. Um, sorry, I, I forgot your question. No, I, I no, I just wonder there are people that in your that have influenced you, inspired you. Oh yeah, you mentioned some films, but I'm just kind of curious this particular style. The, one, the two people who probably influenced me the most in terms of some stuff they did and choices they made are ones that I've made or at least thought about while I'm making uh, uh, pictures. Uh, would be Sidney Lumet and uh, Takeshi Kitano. Uh, pro- and, and maybe Takeshi Kitano in a way more than almost any anybody in that when I started watching his movies in the 90s uh, and I, you know I saw Hanabi multiple times in, in the, on, on the big screen and Kids Return multiple times on the big screen fortunately I live in New York City where uh, movies like that are revived often so I've seen you know Violent Cop uh, aka Warning This Man Is Crazy I've seen a lot of his movies many many times and he's someone who, like me, is, is just as interested in those small interactions and the, the giving of a lovely tea cake as putting a chopstick in somebody's eyeball. And there's an even-handedness with that that I always admired. Uh, something that he does that actually I, I don't do, but I think the feeling is there. There's a lot of times a lot of people clear frames, and you'll just look at an empty frame, maybe an empty out-of-focus frame for a while. So there's always a sense 
in his pictures of the world is larger than just the story that you're watching and the characters who are in it. Uh, so I, I think more than anybody, he probably he had an effect of me understanding uh, the value of really getting a sense of the larger world beyond just the story uh, that that's driving the movie itself. And his deadpan approach to comedy, his deadpan, you know, and, and the very dry performances, all all of that stuff uh, certainly uh, made made a strong a strong impact on me. And then. Sydney, Sydney Lamette is, a, is an obvious one. It's Prince of the City is probably the movie I was thinking of the most when I wrote this picture. Uh, and, I mean, what's something, something that's so great about that picture is when he and, and Treat Williams talk about it, they were never really resolved, on even after they'd made the movie, on how they felt about this guy, whether he was a rat, uh, whether it was noble, or where he came from. And I, and I, I could be mistaken. I, I, I heard this secondhand. But I remember them, I, I know that they were conflicted about how they felt about him uh, through, throughout making it. Maybe sometime later they landed on a reaction. But to me, that's so interesting. In a way, it keeps the character alive, both on screen and, and after the fact. And it's a, it's a reaction I have um, every time I watch that movie, and I've probably seen it about 30 times at this point. Yeah. Uh, so certainly uh, th- those two guys, uh, and Sidney Lumet is my favorite filmmaker ever, uh, th- those two people, and their their style is precise, particularly Kitano's visually is really, really precise, uh, but not in a way that's getting uh, in between the audience and the acting. And you know th- those are all those are all things I took away from those those two filmmakers. I mean there are, there are a ton of favorite filmmakers sure, I have. And, sure. you know a huge Sam Peckinpah fan and um, and Don Siegel, but I, I think probably aesthetically they had less of an impact what I'm doing as a director, maybe Don Siegel more of an impact on what I do as a writer. Well, <clears throat> excuse me, well, ask Craig Zoller, this has been a fascinating discussion, um, and I'm congratulations on this film. It, It is, as I said to you before, and that is, I love watching films that feel like this is the film that the director wanted to make, and it's up on screen. This is what I felt like when I was watching your movie. The acting is very well done. I thought Mel Gibson, Vince Vaughn, um, everyone in it is terrific. And you've got performances out of all of them that are memorable. They, As I said, they really push that narrative along. And despite the bad things happening to bad people in this film, it's still, there's a, there is a, a sense of empathy about the characters, and particularly when we're talking about Vince Vaughn and Mel Gibson, as well as Henry Johns, they, they all, despite some of the things that they have, they have done in this film, they elicit a, a level of empathy that uh, is, uh, it really propels the film and, and really puts it in a, a whole nother realm of, of uh, accomplishment. So uh, thank you for all of that. And thank you for a fascinating discussion on, on film and on filmmaking. So uh, congratulations. The film, again, is Dragged Across Concrete. It's opening in theaters here today. And uh, to check it out, uh, you can find out, It's you can go to Lionsgate to find out, um, the website for Lionsgate to find out more about it. There's Facebook, there's Twitter, and then there's Instagram for all three of those devoted to three, the film. Three, three things that I've never done. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, well, uh, S. Craig Zoller, thank you so much for being here on Film School. 
thank you for having me. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was fun talking about this stuff. And uh, <laughs> whether you like my movies or not, uh, go check out some Takeshi Katana movies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. Thank you very much. Cool. Bye. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.